Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today's conversation, I would like to thank Bryn Pharma for being a kind sponsor of FACT's Roundtable podcast. Today, we're exploring the unmet needs of needle phobia and exciting epinephrine innovation. The food allergy community is looking into the future at groundbreaking epinephrine delivery options, but this process is complex. So we're sitting down with Bryn Pharma's Vice President, Head of Medical Affairs, Karen Rance, to learn in very simple terms about this process and how to understand the safety of epinephrine for our families. Welcome, Karen, to Facts Roundtable podcast. We are absolutely delighted to have you join us today to help us understand the innovation and then the processes required to bring our food allergy community up to the next level of emergency response. You are going to help shed light on very exciting new things that are coming ahead, and we're absolutely thrilled you are here. Thank you, Caroline, for inviting me to join your podcast. Facts work continually aspires me, and I've been a longtime fan of your organization. I admire Eleanor's leadership and your entire team's tireless efforts in improving food allergy patients' lives. Because we operate within a healthcare system that often has competing messages, there's never been a more important time to empower, to educate, and to lift the voices of allergy patients, such as what we're doing today. I couldn't agree with you anymore. This is our moment. And I have to confess it this morning when I was having my coffee, I was thinking about our podcast today and realizing how I never thought in over, what, 23 years we've been living with this in my family, that this kind of conversation would be taking a place about innovation and, like you said, uplifting our voices, but meeting our needs in ways that we never thought possible. This is truly exciting. Indeed. So perhaps I can start with a bit of my background, if that would be helpful. So before joining the pharmaceutical industry, I spent 20 years as a nurse practitioner focused on diagnosing, managing, and treating patients with allergies and asthma. So during my clinical years, I was involved in helping patients and families balance their food allergies and overcome day-to-day challenges while sustaining their best quality of life. I've worked closely with patients and their families for years to help them overcome such everyday challenges. I have a doctorate from the University of Virginia where I focus specifically on improving the asthma and allergy outcomes of vulnerable populations. During my clinical years, I held multiple national leadership positions where I prioritized educating healthcare providers on optimizing patient outcomes and state initiatives that ensured patients had access to epinephrine in schools and standardized asthma action plans. 
So during this time, I worked very closely with patient advocacy organizations and pharma. I firmly believe that the best approach to improving patient outcome comes through a thoughtful and robust collaboration between healthcare providers, patient advocacy organizations, and pharma. I left clinical practice in 2015, and that's where I stepped into the pharmaceutical industry space. Prior to my role here at Brin, I enjoyed a role at ALK, which is a global allergy immunotherapy company, where I built and led the North America Medical Affairs Department. I joined Brin in late June of this year and simply love our work. I'm the Vice President of Medical Affairs and I'm working with a fantastic team of tenured and experienced colleagues under the leadership of Sandy LaRoe, our CEO. So let me just share with you a bit of Bryn's story, which I think you'll find quite interesting. So Bryn Pharma's story is one of inspiration. It was founded by people who have suffered from anaphylaxis. Michelle LaBelle, one of our co-founders, has been a food allergy patient all of her life and is familiar with epinephrine auto-injectors as the primary treatment for anaphylaxis. When her twins were diagnosed with food allergies when they were young, she recalls going to the pharmacy that day to pick up their epinephrine prescription. That experience that day made a keen impression on her that the auto-injectors that her twins were being prescribed were the exact ones that she had been prescribed for the previous 30 years. That made her realize there had been no evolution in the delivery options of self-administered epinephrine for anaphylaxis, which is truly shocking in our world where, you know, every other year we have smartphone updates and the like. Her astonishment that day fueled our drive at Bryn to find a new way to address the concerns of patients, caregivers, and healthcare providers. So Bryn's mission is really quite simple. It's to offer people experiencing anaphylaxis an affordable, needle-free epinephrine nasal spray that's small enough to comfortably fit in a pocket and easy to use without special medical training. First, thank you so much for sharing Bryn's story. It is so important, but wow, your background is amazing. And listeners, you can't see this, but I can. Karen's passion is just coming through the computer (laughs) screen. It is very exciting. And again, thank you for being with us. I love all this passionate. I'm a highly passionate person. (laughs) So I just really appreciate all of this energy. So now looking at the food allergy community, can you discuss what you see as the biggest areas of unmet needs in terms of needle phobia and the challenges of the needle phobia for the patient? Wow, what an important question this is. About 35 years ago, it was believed that food allergies were present in only 1% of the population. Despite at that time, the perceived prevalence was around 20%. However, recent estimates now show that food allergies affect upwards to 5% of the general population. So that's not the allergy population, that's the general population and 8% of children. Severe food allergic reactions were rare 35 years ago, but now are the leading cause of anaphylaxis treated in American emergency departments. In the past two decades, data from the USA and Australia indicate a significant increase in hospitalizations due to food allergies. Despite this, 
the reasons for the rapid rise in food allergy among industrial countries worldwide are still largely unknown. But among all of the unmet needs in the food allergy community, I believe that the most critical answer we need to find is how to decrease the deaths from food allergies. To do that, we need to look at the most common cause of death, and that is the delayed use of epinephrine for anaphylaxis treatment. Numerous national medical organizations have outlined why people often wait too long to use epinephrine auto-injectors, and it starts with needle phobia. Additionally, this list may include that patients wouldn't recognize the symptoms of anaphylaxis or they aren't sure they're having an attack. Perhaps they feel they may injure themselves with the administration of a needle device, that they may have a bad reaction to the drug epinephrine, even though it is safe. Needle phobia, interesting enough, was officially recognized in 1994 and since that time has become more prevalent. Millions suffer from needle phobia, and this may potentially lead to the hesitation or the avoidance of using epinephrine auto-injectors, even in an emergency. So suffice it to say, needle phobia poses a significant risk to the health of patients experiencing anaphylaxis. Interesting, and according to two studies, the percentage of children with this fear specifically, has increased from 25% in 1995 to 65% in recent years. Some suggest that this rise in needle phobia is due to an increase in the number of booster shots administered around the age of five for children. For it is at this age when children are old enough to remember the experience of getting the injections, but young enough to be more susceptible to developing a phobia. In adults, studies have found that about 10 to 25% experience an intense fear of needles or injection, and it's likely that the actual number is more significant because the most severe cases of needle phobia are not documented due to the tendency of the sufferer avoiding all medical treatment. So we know that needle phobia can cause significant distress, anxiety, and even panic attacks. But let me point out something extremely important, and this is along with other phobias. Experiencing needle phobia is not a reflection on someone's character. It's not an issue of quote unquote toughness. It can affect people from all walks of life, regardless of the age, occupation, or gender. And even some professional athletes have an aversion to needles. At the 2023 American College of Allergy, Asthma, Immunology Conference earlier this month, I presented data on nephobia in children within the context of allergen immunotherapy. In the presentation, I reviewed the results of a survey among parents and caregivers of children with allergic rhinitis, asking them about nephobia. In those results, of the parents surveyed reported their children had a severe fear of needles and an additional 47% said they had a moderate fear of needles. What I thought was particularly interesting about the research we did was that there was a correlation between the child's level of fear and the parent's level of fear in so much that most fearful parents or caregivers had the highest percentage of children who had severe needle phobia. As our work demonstrated, needle phobia can be deeply rooted 
within the entire family unit as a health belief. An additional presentation that I thought was extremely relevant to our discussion about needle phobia that occurred at this recent American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology conference was a presentation by the Allergy and Asthma Network. They did a fascinating poster that researched needle phobia and epinephrine on TikTok. The results analyzed the top 15 videos with the keywords needle phobia and epinephrine and categorized them based on their content. Their review found that 60% of the videos showed fearfulness of both receiving and using self-administered epinephrine devices. The remaining 40% of the TikTok videos had a trigger warning for needle phobia. These 15 videos received over 15 million likes. This review confirmed that needle phobia is a common issue among people in our allergy community and certainly can adversely affect outcomes. Although I have to confess, Caroline, I am not a TikTok user, I can appreciate how the cultural phenomena can provide us with keen insight into the challenges we must overcome to reverse this current situation where delayed epinephrine use is the primary predictor of death and anaphylaxis. This is just an amazing topic and point that you're bringing up on needle phobia, because I think of all these years, again, we've been in this over two decades, my family, that needle phobia is just ignored. It's just kind of shoved into the corner. And we are talking about everything else, but with our kids, with our families, you know, just when you're discussing right now, you know, the parental anxiety, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband has anxiety around needles. I don't. Let's go. But But that comes through. And I think this is such an important thing for our listeners to hear. And just pause. And I I challenge you listeners to just take this information in and pause and think about it and think, you know, how you can move forward right now and then looking forward at this amazing innovation. Exactly. And I think the most important thing, Caroline, that we need to realize as a healthcare system is that needle phobia is not something that can just be overcome, you know, that it's, it's real. It, it's, it needs to be acknowledged. And there are, there are prescribed pathways to, to try to help patients, you know, resolve some of that anxiety. But the good news is, is that while that aspect of the recovering needle phobia are, are really trying to work through the aspects of having needle phobia are acknowledged, the new products in the market will ha- help to take all of this to perhaps the desired improved outcomes. Well, they go hand in hand. Yes. And I just, again, think it's so beautiful that we're just recognizing this. And this is something we can address. And there are solutions you know, with, you said, within the healthcare industry that can address needle phobia. So now turning to Bryn Pharma specifically and a nasal epinephrine solution, I think I can safely say that most of us living with food allergies in our families are very unfamiliar on how a new product to deliver epinephrine even comes to market. So can you help listeners understand the difference between the regulatory pathway that these innovative epinephrine products must travel upon versus what the other medications in the allergy space must follow? Kind of a big question. Well, but again, another very important question because there are true distinctions. So the epinephrine products that are in development, like Brin's nasal spray, which 
the scientific name is NDS1C. Follow the FDA's 505B2 regulatory pathway. This is a more streamlined regulatory pathway designed for drug products that have a previously approved active ingredient, such as in our case, epinephrine, but are being reformulated into a new dosage form or route of administration. The data requirements for this regulatory pathway include pharmacokinetic, often referred to as PK studies, and pharmacodynamic, which are often referred to as PD studies. The PK studies focus on understanding how the body absorbs, distributes, and eliminates a drug, while the PD studies look at the physiological effects of the drug within the body. Bryn Pharma has been highly focused on developing a product with a PK curve comparable to EpiPen, given it is the outpatient standard of care. Bryn has completed nine PKPD studies to date. Knowing that nasal congestion may be a limiting factor in the delivery of any nasal spray and that inflammation in the nasal passages may occur in the mast cell storm with anaphylaxis, Bryn presented data on using our novel nasal spray in congested subjects at the recent American College Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Conference. Our results show that NDS1C, our nasal spray, provided enhanced absorption in adults both with and without congestion compared to the current first-line intramuscular epinephrine and the auto-injector administered treatments. The study also found that NDS1C was safe and generally well-tolerated. And if approved, we believe our nasal spray may offer patients at risk of anaphylaxis, a practical alternative to needle-based administration routes for all the needs that, you know, we discussed earlier related to needle phobia. This is absolutely fascinating. And thank you, because it's such a confusing world for us. I mean, we're the parents of or adults with allergies, you know, or the, the patient. And so we don't know how this all takes place. And it's highly complicated. And we're hearing a lot of these terms, PKPD. So thank you so much for bringing that to light. That helps us so, so much. So now with all the new innovation options being discussed in the media, concern over the safety of epinephrine in general has been coming up. So can you talk to listeners about the safety of epinephrine to just help quell any concerns that have been brewing? Absolutely. Ensuring safety is of utmost importance for every single one of us, and especially during the emergency treatments for anaphylaxis. Epinephrine is the preferred medication for treating anaphylaxis, and its safety and effectiveness has been proven when administered correctly. It's important to keep in mind that the benefits of using epinephrine to reverse severe allergic reactions and anaphylaxis far, far, far outweigh the potential risks associated with it. And because of this, there is never a contraindication to its use. However, the most significant risk to the safety of our patients in the management of anaphylaxis is the failure to administer epinephrine when required. So even though the manifestations of anaphylaxis may vary from patient to patient and even vary within a single patient's response 
to multiple and separate episodes, the treatment priority within anaphylaxis remains the same. Focusing on the respiratory and cardiovascular systems in an anaphylactic event is crucial as they're critical for recovery. The secondary focus is on the skin and gastrointestinal tract response. When patients have self-administered epinephrine in a pre-measured delivery device, such as the FDA-approved needle products currently on the market, there have not been any serious long-term adverse effects. This is important for the allergy community to remember as we work together to reduce the hesitation in self-administration of epinephrine. It is important to note that there is clear distinction between the safety of pre-dosed epinephrine products and IV-administered epinephrine, or where the dose is not pre-packaged in an available device. Most of the adverse reactions that one would read about in the literature or hear about regarding epinephrine are due to significant dosing errors, such as 10 times dosing, or even errors in the route of administration, such as high-dose IV bolus dosing. Adverse effects of epinephrine are super rare, but may include cardiovascular complications as seen with super high doses. These cardiovascular complications are not typically seen with appropriately dosed self-administered epinephrine products. At Brin, a top priority for us is clearly communicating that our self-administered non-needle epinephrine nasal spray in its predefined dosage device is safe. The bottom line is, and it's worth repeating over again, there is no contraindication or reason not to administer epinephrine when indicated in a life-threatening situation. Epinephrine is the immediate medical intervention of choice and the standard of care for anaphylaxis. Thank you so much for bringing all that information up and helping us get that clarity because the last thing we want is anyone to hesitate. I mean, that's what this whole Mm -hmm. conversation is about. So I appreciate that. But it is very hard to believe, but we are coming to the end of our conversation. This has been fantastic. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like listeners to hear from you? It's important that the allergy community in 2024 will be looking forward to the continued significant advancements in the development of new epinephrine products for self-administration. We are working closely with the FDA to develop our epinephrine nasal spray as a comparator to the epinephrine auto-injector in terms of its PK curve and drug absorption. During my 20 years of experience prescribing epinephrine auto-injectors to patients, the PK and PD properties of a particular epinephrine product were never a part of my discussion with patients. However, Due to the requirements of the 505B2 regulatory pathway and the emergence of these innovative epinephrine products, patients may hear references of PK curves. And now, Caroline, they can put it into context of what it means for their treatment options. Finally, Bryn is thrilled with our collaboration with FACT and looking very forward to locking arms in our work in the coming years. We continually want to focus on educating the allergy community. And as I mentioned, uh, with regards to our product name, we can all look forward to that being finalized. As soon as it is, Bryn will be happy to share the name of the product we are developing in the future. 
So again, thank you, Caroline, for all that you do and bringing this to the patients and the members of the allergy community. Well, we appreciate you being here. So thank you so much for your work and your innovation. This is just exciting. These are just exciting times. And again, thank you, Karen, for your time. I know you all are so busy right now, and we appreciate you carving out time to spend with our listeners and with us. So thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Before we say goodbye today, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to Bryn Pharma one more time for being a kind sponsor of FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.